Well, I invite you now to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians, to Philippians. Uh, chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 4, or 14, I'm sorry, verses 14 to 18. Philippians is found in the New Testament. If you need, there's a, a pew Bible, a blue pew Bible on the end of the pew. You're welcome to use that to, to look up these verses. Philippians is found uh, after Acts and Romans, but well before Hebrews and Revelation, uh, back there in the New Testament. It's just a four-chapter-long uh, book, so you can easily miss it. But if you turn there with me to chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Uh, last week, I'll remind you that our assistant pastor, Harrison Hatfield, uh, shared with you all from the passage just before this, verses 12 and 13, which remind us of two very important things, uh, two very important themes that are going to continue to carry their way over, certainly into the verses we look at today and in the weeks ahead as well. And that is that we have a call to work out our salvation, to be working out what God is doing in us, that we're working out our salvation and God is working in us, that both of those things are taking place at the same time if we're in Christ, if the Lord is at work in our lives. And it's in some respects like this, as, as uh, uh, Harrison did a wonderful job explaining last week, it's like a marriage. You have a wedding day and you are married on that day, but then the rest of your days as a married couple, you are working out that marriage. You are taking what you already have and working it out, putting it into play. So too, through Christ, we have the gift of salvation that comes completely by God's grace, but we are also called to take what we are by grace and work it out, live into it, as it were. A couple of statements that you can find back in the back portion of your worship guide where there's a note section if you would like to follow along by one author, Motyer. He says this about this idea. He says, our obedience is the way we enter into the totality of what God is doing in us. Since he, therefore, is doing all, we must do all. It's our total response to his all-sufficiency. And then he goes on, says this, our new nature is ours by the gift of God. But the activation of that new nature in our character and in our conduct is through the response of obedience, through the response of obedience. So keep all of that in mind, if you can, God working in us and we seeking to work out that salvation, even as we look at these verses today, which call us to realize our high status as children of God and as those who are well taken care of as children to move away from an attitude of grumbling and complaining that's so prevalent in my life, I know, and instead to move to an attitude of joy and gladness in the Lord. I invite you to stand with me in honor and recognition of God's Word and its truth. I'll read aloud. You simply read along with me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, Children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I, that's Paul, 
may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You may be seated, and let's pray again. Oh, Father, we do ask that you would come and meet us in this time and teach us what it is to be children of you and to walk in joy and gladness and turn away from our propensity to complain about so many things and ultimately to be complaining about you. Pray that you would work in our hearts in this way through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I shared with you a bit a minute ago about some of the missionary folks that we had a chance to meet down in Peru. There are these new five families in this Cusco area doing this medical campus outreach and seeking to be a hub for medical trainees from the states to come down and experience missions and also running a medical clinic there. Uh, A number of them have just arrived within the last month, including David and Brooke Daniel. There's two twin brothers in the group. David and Brooke just arrived about a month ago, moved into their third-story apartment. And if you know uh, missionaries, they're people sort of, I guess by definition, pretty serious about their walk with the Lord and walking joyfully in the Lord as witnesses, as those who shine for Him in this life. But they're also, as you get to know them, people just like you and me with feet of clay who struggle at places along the way to have joy in thanksgiving. And as we met the Daniels, Brooke and David, for the first time, they shared with us a story of what had happened recently. They had moved into their third-story apartment. They have three children And they noticed as day one went by, day two went by, day three went by, their children went from sort of being a little bit out of it to actually falling down on the floor at different times and having trouble getting back up. When they would go down to sleep at night, it would be difficult to get them roused up in the morning or from a nap. And both David and Brooke were experiencing themselves pretty severe headaches, all being medical people. They assumed that perhaps this was some of the high-altitude sickness that you can experience when you live in a city that's almost 12,000 feet up. But as it got worse and worse each day, they began to wonder if something more serious wasn't going on. One of the members of the team, Nathan Wilson, is a pediatrician. He came over eventually and looked at all the kids in their apartment one afternoon. He did an evaluation, full medical evaluation, and concluded that there was nothing he could find wrong. And then as he thought about it, he said, the only thing I can think of is carbon monoxide poisoning. Well, immediately they opened all the windows, which had been closed up to that point because it's still sort of cool time, late winter, early spring there. Even went outside and got some fresh air and then began to look around the apartment, and soon discovered that the water heater that they had requested, a new one to be installed, had been installed without the vent to the outside. It was literally pumping carbon monoxide fumes into their small 
thousand square foot apartment. Well, they took a trip to the ER to get checked out fully to get oxygen in all of the kids and were thankful they had discovered the source of the problem. Well, things got even a little more interesting when David called in the landlord who lives just three floors below in the same building and asked him about the water heater, which had nearly killed his family. He asked the man if he understood that he had failed to vent the water heater. And the landlord said, well, yes, actually just a month ago, I installed one of these water heaters in my own apartment and vented it. David was incredulous, asked the man, well, why didn't you vent our water heater then? The man's response, I just didn't get around to it. David was frustrated, of course, unbelievably by that, but he said, well, look, here's the deal. You've got to get this fixed. So the landlord sent a repairman over. The vent was fixed, and the repairman handed David the bill for all of the repairs. Sometimes it's hard not to grumble. Sometimes it's hard not to strangle, (laughs) I would say. I was impressed at David's restraint that the landlord was still living. It's difficult to walk joyfully in the midst of all the situations we face. But listen to this what David wrote, and he would not describe him as any, you know, great hero, himself as any great hero of the faith. He acknowledged that he was very frustrated and very tempted, really, to rethink their whole calling there. That'll set you back if you're two weeks in a new place trying to serve the Lord, and all of a sudden your whole family almost gets uh, taken out by gas. But he said this in his recent uh, email update after sharing all of this story. He said, We share this to remind you of our need for your prayers. We also share this because we want you to know that in spite of the difficulties of life, we are staying and settling in Cusco. We believe in Jesus Christ and the resurrection and that it is a privilege to bring the good news to those who do not have it. It's a privilege to be there and even to wrestle with these difficulties. Challenging. David's posture was challenging to me as I stood there and heard his story and seeing myself such a propensity to complain about nearly everything around me instead of to appreciate the goodness of God. And indeed, I think that's the main idea of these verses that the Lord wants us to hear and to wrestle with through these words from Paul. If you look in your worship guide, there is a section for notes at the back of the bulletin. And the main idea that you can fill in, I think, is this, that because we are children of God, because we are children of God, we should not grumble, but rejoice. We should not grumble, but rejoice. Not too complicated to understand, pretty difficult. For us to implement. Look with me at verse 15 though. I want you to see what's driving this first before we look at this issue of grumbling and being joyful. What drives this for Paul? What motivation do we have to become people who have 
greater joy in God and decreasing discontentment and grumbling. How can we move that way? Verse 15 of Philippians chapter 2, he says that we may be blameless and innocent children of God. Children of God. He's calling us to recognize our status of children of God as children of God, as those who've been adopted into God's family. And because we're adopted, we can have joy even in great difficulties. We can trust that God's plan is good for us, and then we don't have to grumble. We can be joyful even in that plan. I've shared before with some of you the story of my friend and fellow pastor, Steve Singletary. Steve and his two siblings... Uh, were both adopted around the same time, but at different ages. They were adopted from Europe. His parents live in Birmingham, and Steve grew up most of his young years in Birmingham here. And Steve remembers he was the, the middle child, I believe, and had an older brother, Scott. Scott had lived for a longer time in the orphanage environment. Had grown used to that orphan mentality. Steve was pretty young when he was adopted and hadn't had as much time to adopt that posture, but Steve remembers vividly not long after they had moved into Chuck and Pat Singletary's home, been welcomed in, that Chuck and Pat recognized that young Scott had been taking various items of food each lunch and each dinner from the table and literally stuffing them into his shirt sleeves and putting them in his pockets and then distributing them up in his bedroom, tucking them into his bed. He had all kinds of food that was accumulated down into his bed. Now, my kids just seem to be sloppy and do that. This youngster was intentional. Scott was. Of course, the parents talked to Scott about it, and with tears in his eyes, Steve can remember his older brother explaining his fear that having lived in an orphanage, He wouldn't have enough to eat, that he might not get as much food the next meal. Pleading with his new adoptive parents about that. Of course, Chuck and Pat assured him of what all parents want to do and seek to do for their little ones, to provide for their needs, their food, their shelter, their love, the direction that they need. When you have an orphan mentality, When we get used to and programmed to being an orphan instead of being an adopted child of God, or when we've never come to experience by faith in Christ the reality of being a child of God, we are stuck with an orphan mentality. It's difficult for us to see all the goodness that God is providing us and is ready to provide for us. We really do struggle with this, don't we? I started to think about all the ways that we complain, that we tend to be complainers. And I've got a list to share in just a second. I did see at one point on one of the late night TV shows, this was a couple of years ago, there was a guest on, and he was describing, this was just when a very new technology had come out on airplanes. I still haven't been on an airplane with this technology, but I guess it's there now where you can actually be flying in an airplane, and once they give you permission, you can turn on your computer, and the airplane itself has Wi-Fi. You can surf the web on a flight while you're traveling. 
Well, this late night uh, talk show person had been on a flight recently and had a young man sitting next to him. They had just announced, this was one of the first flights that they had ever had this new Wi-Fi technology. So a brand new thing, brand new privilege. And so the young man sitting next to him popped open his computer and started, you know, tapping away. And then he started tapping away a little bit harder. Started shuffling some things around a little bit. Finally, he looked over at the talk show host and said in frustration, Man, this Wi-Fi speed is slow. Well, the late night talk show host pointed out the fact that, Hey, buddy, you might want to take note of the fact that you're actually sitting in a nice comfortable chair flying 500 miles an hour through the air at 30,000 feet. And it wasn't until just a minute ago that you even knew that you could use Wi-Fi on a flight to begin with. That's us, isn't it? That's really us, isn't it? That's me, I know. Think of all the things that we complain about. These verses tell us to do all things without complaining and groaning. It's not an easy-peasy passage. Do all things without complaining. We complain. I did make a little list. We complain about our cars, our house, our home electronics. We complain about our lawns. We complain about our job, that we have too much work or that we have too little work, about our boss, about our pay. We complain about our friends, that they want to spend too much time with us or not enough time. We complain about our kids, that we don't have kids or that we do have kids and all the trouble they're causing us. We complain about being married. We complain about not being married. We even, yes, I know, complain about our church, the things we'd like to see in our church and like to not see in our church. seems to just overflow from Within us, this complaining attitude, well, what is the big deal? What's the big problem with this? Well, look again with me at verse 14 of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It says there to do all things without grumbling or questioning, or some translations say complaining. Do all things. Well, that's a challenging thing to do. So that's part of the problem is it calls us to do all things this way. We're called to do it without this attitude of complaining. Why is that such a big deal? Why, why should we try to do all things without it? Isn't a little bit of it okay? We just let a little bit, maybe this is just area of my life. Let me complain a bit. Well, the reason is this. That just like every other area of sin in our life, if the evil one can drive a wedge in there, can get a foot in the door and just get started, then it makes it easier to push through and expand. And why is that so bad? Why would it be so bad for us to be overrun with complaining? Well, it's bad because where ultimately does all the goodness in the world come from that we enjoy? It comes from the Lord. So when we're complaining, we're really complaining to God. That's who we're directing our attention to. Think a minute about Adam and Eve in the garden with me. You can recall that some of the details of that account. Adam, you recall, and Eve are placed in the garden, and they have the privilege of enjoying every tree that's there, and they're just forbidden to partake of the one. The evil one comes along, 
and raises the question, is God really good in this deal, in this arrangement? Shouldn't you be able to have that other tree too? Is God really good? And you recall what happens when they fall for the trick and fall into sin. That attitude, that posture of complaining that somehow I'm being robbed of something so I ought to gripe about it results in their fall and their separation from the Lord. But what else does it do? Think about Adam and Eve. Go back again. Think about Genesis chapter 2 when Adam is sitting there. He's alone. He's identified all the animals. But he realizes he needs somebody with him that would be a partner with him. And God creates for him this woman to put with him. And he is excited about it. He says, she's bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Maybe it wouldn't make a Hallmark card, but that's what he's saying. I love this woman. And then the next chapter, after they fall, God comes looking for Adam and looking for who's at fault in this situation. And do you remember what Adam says? This woman who you put here with me, she's the one that made me do it. Complaining doesn't just affect our relationship with God. It severs, it affects our relationship with others. We can't appreciate the goodness of those around us if we have a posture of complaining. So this is why it's so important. And the scriptures go on and on, not just uh, with Adam and Eve, but in other places. Think for a minute about God's people being rescued out of Egypt. God goes in and saves them from the hand of Pharaoh, takes them out in the wilderness, and they're hungry, looking for something to eat, basic sustenance, not not their house or their car or their flat screen TV or whatever that they're fussing about. They just want some hunger. They just want some food for their hunger. God sends food, bread, coming down from the sky for them. Imagine that. They have God sending it down from the sky. But they can't gather it up for more than one day. They have to trust God each day for it. And it is the same thing each day, although it perfectly provides for their physical sustenance. So they complain about it. Think for a minute, even about Jonah the prophet, a prophet, in case we would think that somehow the leaders of God's people or the spokesmen for God would somehow be immune to this problem. Jonah the prophet of God is called to do, I think, last time I checked, what a prophet of God is supposed to do. Go share the word of God with people so that they would come to salvation. But those people happen to be in Nineveh. And he doesn't want to hang out with the Ninevite people. He doesn't want to go there. So he not only complains, he tries to go the other way. Folks, what are the things in our lives today that produce, where where we find ourselves a propensity to grumbling? And complaining? What are those things that drive us to grumbling and complaining where we turn to grumbling and complaining? It's not a small thing. It seems like a small thing. It's kind of an acceptable sin. I'm going to get your picture, put it up on any kind of wanted sign for it. But it's so out of discord with God's goodness to us and the reality of So we're called not to grumble. And then we're also called, and I'll close in just a moment, to be glad. To be glad. And I put down for you a section from 
Chuck Swindoll, one of his books, I believe, where he talks about the opportunity we have to choose by God's grace and through his working to be glad. We're not talking here about the Pollyanna mindset that we're going to just play the glad game and pretend like everything is good. Some things in life are difficult. The Apostle Paul is writing to these people in Philippi from prison, potentially about to die. So he he knows things can be difficult in life. But I like what Chuck Swindoll says, and if you want to read along in your bulletin, you can. He says, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important in the past than education, than money than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past, nor can we change the fact that people will act in a certain way We also cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced, he says, that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. Well, Paul has given us already in this book of Philippians manifold reasons to be glad. Even in these verses, as I began with today, he's told us that we're children of God. We have the privilege of being God's children. He's also told us, just take a little journey with me. Look back at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. He declares that we're saints, that we're holy ones because of what Jesus has done. In verse 2, he says that grace and peace of God has come to us. We don't deserve it but it's come to us. Verse 6 of Philippians 1, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion. God's not going to drop the ball on our salvation. He's going to carry it through. Verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul is in prison and talking about being in prison, and he says that he rejoices. And then he tells us the same thing in verse 17 of chapter 2, that he rejoices. So we've got a model of one who demonstrates gladness in the Lord. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 remind us that there's encouragement, there's comfort, there's participation in the Holy Spirit, there's affection and sympathy. God's given us all of these things. Manifold reasons, manifold reasons for us to be glad, for us to be glad. It really is a matter of perspective. And let me tell you this, if we can begin to gain this perspective of seeing God's goodness, looking for that instead of looking for all the things we can complain about, what does this verse tell us as well? It tells us that we will begin to shine as lights in this world. Why is that? Because complaining and grumbling is so mainstream that if we just start to turn away from it, and start to turn towards joy and gladness, people around us will be shocked and amazed at what is going on. Shared this story, I think, in the past. I'll close with this. Of uh, parents who had twin children. And the children, one of the 
children had a propensity to kind of look at life with the glass half empty. The other child had a propensity to see a little bit better the goodness of God and that the glass seemed half full. And so the parents decided to do an experiment around Christmas time one year. Each of the children had a different room, and they decided to put their gifts into separate rooms and see what would happen. For the one child who was a bit more pessimistic, they put in the room all the greatest toys wrapped wonderfully, the latest super figures and the latest video games and the latest whatever all put there for the child. And the other room, for the child that tended to be able to see God's goodness a little bit better, they simply put a box of horse manure. Parents came by Christmas morning and listened to the children in the room. They listened at the door of their more pessimistic child, and all they could hear was, Man, this toy doesn't work. Goodness, this one does not have the blaster I wanted it to have. This video game doesn't quite go with the blast the way I want them to. And then they walked by the room of the child that was a bit more optimistic with that box of manure. And they looked in, and that little one was throwing the manure in the air and wiping it all over his face and just excited as could be. And they could hear from outside the door the child saying, where there's this much manure, there's got to be a pony somewhere. <laughs> Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you that your promises are so good to us that even if there's no pony in this life for us, that we've been promised the joys and the wonder and the privilege and the blessings of everlasting life with you and the privilege of knowing you in this life as your children. And so, Father, we have great reason every moment of every day to have joy in you. I confess that I fall so far short in this, Lord. Lord, would you help me and help us to begin to walk in joy and gladness, realizing your goodness to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.